Hi, this is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. Last week, North Charleston resident Mike Winkleman made history. Now, you may not know that name, but you might have heard of Beeple. That's the name he goes by as a digital artist, one who just caused a pretty big stir in the art world. Earlier this month, Christie's, that's the legendary 255-year-old art auction house that you'd primarily know for selling very famous physical works of art, put a digital piece by Beeple up for auction. It sold for $69.3 million. That's the third highest price paid at auction for a work by a living artist ever. In the week since that auction, Beeple's name has been everywhere in the news. And that sale has sparked a lot of debate. Before that sale actually happened, Beeple's work reached arts and entertainment reporter Keelan Oyer's radar, and she had a chance to talk with him, meet him, and see how he creates what he calls his everydays. Digital pieces of art that he creates, well, every day. And given the high-profile nature and the huge dollar amount of this sale, Keelan said you might be surprised to learn what Beeple is actually like. He is just so fascinating because he's just this average normal dad who like hangs out at his computer all day. He plays with his two kids. And you know, he lives in North Charleston in a middle class neighborhood in a typical house. And now he's a multimillionaire. Charleston has been mentioned in a slew of media reports about people because that's where he lives now. It's not where he's from originally. He moved here from Wisconsin a few years ago. He was like, we're trying to to get away from the, the cold winters here. So we just like had traveled to Charleston before and visited. He's like, let's just pick up and, and move to Charleston. So they did. he did that a few years ago, 2017. And basically he's just been living here since. But he was telling me that he hasn't really gotten connected in the arts community here at all or anything like that. He's kind of a a lone wolf, so to speak. He's like living in his digital world. And, you know, he he goes to Folly Beach with the family, but he hasn't really, you know, been out going to, and obviously coronavirus, so he hasn't been able to this year to go do a lot of stuff around town. How did he get started as an artist? Basically, he, he really started out by trying to teach himself this program called Cinema 4D. And I mean, even before that, he was like, just creating sketches online of just whatever he wanted to do. And his whole thing was like, well, if I if I do this every day, just just test it out. Eventually, I might be good at it. So he just started doing these things he calls every days where he sits down, creates some sort of artwork digitally, and then he'll release it by the end of the day and put it on his Instagram and share it with people. And he's been doing that for over a decade now. And just the fact that he you know, has has gotten to do that. You can see the evolution in his art. It started out as like these almost looks like line drawings of like bicycles. And then it goes into this really abstract segment he has where he's creating these like 3D crazy worlds, dystopian universes. And then he kind of combines that in recent years with more social and political statements. So he has a lot of Trump. He uses a lot of Disney characters. And then we'll kind of mix that in with kind of statements about capitalism and, and what that stands for. He's, he's 
been doing that recently. And that's kind of, I think, what caught the attention of more people because it became more of this pop culture thing. So you said he's been creating these every day. So this piece of digital artwork every single day. When did he actually start doing that? He started that May 1st, 2007. And at the time he was 26 years old and now he's 39 years old. So he's been doing that for a really long time. And actually the piece that just sold for $69 million is a compilation of all of those every days he's done, the first 5,000 days, which is basically up until January of this year. It's all combined into one single JPEG file, 5,000 images into one JPEG. And that's what attracted the online attention of somebody who ended up paying $69 million for it. So before this huge sale, what kind of success was he having? This caught your attention because he had made $3.5 million in one weekend. So he must have already been having some success prior to this really big history-making sale at Christie's, right? Totally. So basically, he's had some some smaller successes here and there over the years. And kind of a big break for him was when he got invited to create some of like the video content for the Super Bowl. And so he did that a couple years now. He's done, created some video content. And then that turned into him doing video content for big name artists like Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Nicki Minaj. And that's kind of like a separate thing that that he was doing for a while. And then once um, this kind of new digital format called NFTs became a thing online, he decided, hey, I want to do that too. NFT is short for non-fungible token. That's Gerald Dwyer. He is an economics professor at Clemson University, and he teaches a course in blockchains and cryptocurrencies. If you have a pile of dollar bills, And I say, I want a dollar bill. I don't care which one you give to me because they're all the same. And so they're fungible in the sense that you don't really care which one you have. The idea of these is is that they're non-fungible in the sense they're unique. This gets into the Ethereum blockchain and different contracts on it. And so there's a contract that's created for non-fungible things. That is, you get a certificate from the person who's selling it. And it says, this is the file. Exactly what the file means is not entirely clear because you can make multiple copies of the file and they're all the same. I mean, they literally identical. They have the same date, timestamp, everything. They're, they're indistinguishable. But, but it, so I think what they're saying is, is I won't sell another one that's an NFT of this same file. And so you have the only one of those. This is sort of like the crypto kitties thing. It's actually related. That was a few years ago where people would make digital kitties and then they could sell them and some of them sold for millions of dollars and this is kind of like that but the crypto kitties thing was kind of a fad and this may be a fad too it is part of a much bigger thing the whole thing's thing with blockchains and smart contracts and all of that it's part of what i talk about in my class it has the capability of changing a lot of things in the way they work in the world so we're, we're talking about this specific example of of course people in this $69.3 million sale. What, what are some of those other examples of what an NFT can be? They're being used by the NBA 
actually, to sell videos. You don't buy the copyright to the video. That is, you don't buy the video and then you can lease it out to a television station if they want to show it or whatever. You don't have the right to do that at all. All you have the right to do is to say, I own this video. And that's it. There's a football player in Tampa Bay, Buccaneers, who's selling pictures of himself as NFTs. And it seems like, see, see, the thing is, these are scarce in the sense you have this certificate that says they won't sell it again. Now, that doesn't mean they won't sell the picture again, but they won't sell the NFT again. And so you'll be the only person who has a certificate of authenticity. And that's, that's what makes them unique and non-fungible. Right. It's creating scarcity for something that previously you couldn't do that for, right? A digital file, because anyone can copy it. But this is a way that a creator can make it scarce. That's right. That's really what it is, is it's one thing that there's only one of, but it's the same as the other things that there are more of. To me, it, I'm, it's not the way I'm going to spend my money, but apparently other people are willing to spend quite a lot of money. One of the potential upsides of NFTs, Professor Dwyer explained, is that artists have the potential to keep making money off of them over time. Say I buy an NFT, and then I want to sell it, then the original creator, will, under the standard contract, will get 20% of the purchase price. And so it yields returns to the original creator over time. So the fact that somebody bothered to put this contract provision in suggests that some people think there might be more. I mean, $69.3 million is probably going to be a standout number no matter what. But these things may persist over time and may actually increase in value. The analogy that some people make is um, baseball cards, you know, that you have a baseball card and maybe it's signed by the player. And so people are willing to pay more money for that than they are to pay for just the plain baseball card. And the value persists over time. Now, some of them fall off the edge because people don't like that player anymore or don't care about them. And others become increasingly popular and the cards become more valuable. And this may be like that. It's hard to forecast stuff like this. You can sort of think about what's going on and then you can say, hmm, we'll see. Mike Winkleman, or Beeple, is hopeful about the potential of NFTs to help other digital artists make money, Kaylin said. He, he does kind of make fun of himself in the sense of, you know, I'm just somebody who's been doing this for a long time and I was in the right place at the right time. And I'm not the one saying my art's worth this amount, it's other people and I guess I'll take it. <laughs> so he has that kind of attitude towards it in general. But, you know, basically he not only is seeing this as a just a crazy Thing that, that he's finding success off of, but he wants to help out other digital artists who have been doing the same thing as him for a long time. I mean, he was telling me, you know, I know there's so many other people who have been doing the same thing, the grind forever and not making any money. And now there's this new kind of platform that exists that might be able to help those other artists out. And if I can find success here, maybe some other artists might be able to find success here too, and it'll help their careers out he's still kind of in the, I'm really surprised this happened because before I interviewed him or even after I interviewed him, he still hadn't gotten the 69.3 million yet. He was still kind of in that stage of, 
all right, I made 3.5 million in one weekend. What's next? And then this is what was next. And I think he hadn't even looked that far ahead yet. He kind of was just like still surprised that this was even happening to him. As I'm sure you can tell by now, this sale has raised a lot of questions about digital art, how artists can make money from digital assets, and what it means to own art when it's in this form. One person who's been thinking about those questions is the Post and Courier's arts critic. I'm Mara Hogan. I'm the arts critic at the Post and Courier. I write a weekly column on the nexus of arts in the community in Charleston. What was your initial reaction to this news about this huge dollar amount sale of Beeple's digital artwork? Well, of course, you know, I think along with so many people, it was sort of jaw-dropping because it sort of emerged from whole cloth And it's been such an interesting and challenging year for the arts world to have this momentous sale in the middle of it all and to to thereby shine a spotlight on the arts world is exciting and obviously very intriguing as to why this happened and how this happened and what its implications are. We know that people, the artist whose name is Mike Winkleman, but goes by Beeple. We know that he lives in North Charleston, but what, if anything, does this actually have to do with Charleston? Does this say anything about Charleston's art scene? Well, you know, it's funny because it really says very little about Charleston because Beeple, by, you know, his own characterization in his interview with Kaylin Oyer, has said that he really hasn't engaged in the Charleston art scene that much. He's a father. He's he works from home. So his his focus has really been at his home. That's where he really generates work, and um, he hasn't really been actively showing or um, immersing himself in the, in the local art scene. That being said, I think the the main connection is that because of the way I think the media often characterizes subjects. The name Charleston is often attached to his as this media frenzy is happening around the country and around the world. So it is always Charleston-based artists or South Carolina-based artists. So we are percolating up in this moment algorithmically with people. What did you think of the piece itself? So so the piece that actually went up for auction, uh, sold for $69.3 million dollars, was really a collage of of many of his individual pieces of work, which, as Kaylin Oyer explained, uh, he's been creating one every day for for years now. What what did you think when you actually looked at that that piece? Well, you know, I had various reactions, and I and I kind of dived deep into them in my Sunday column. Um, but I will say that I think it's important to separate. The, the two aspects of it, the fact that these everydays have been created, you know, over the past 13 years as digital works, and could they exist as digital works individually, separately, and be auctioned for such a high ticket at a place like Christie's? 
they they really run the gamut and i think a lot of critics and and arts writers are just recently starting to unpack those and and the content of them and the content can they can really range in style they can range um, in proficiency some of them are provocative some of them are incendiary some of them could be deemed offensive so i think that that's where people are right now so there's there's that element of it of the individual everydays as people uh, refers to them the second element is this amalgam uh, my understanding is that this amalgam was an afterthought i don't believe that people or mike winkelman's intention was ever at the get-go 13 years ago to present this as an amalgam and they are presented sort of, you know, in the same, he, you know, he, he uses um, Instagram as one of his main platforms uh, to present these every days. And they really were a way for him to continue to get his artwork out and do it in this routine way. And he made this commitment to do them every day. So they're, they're sort of a square, like an Instagram. And while there's, there's some sort of paradox in the fact that a lot of those individual digital, they're almost little postage stamps now are very provocative and you know, full of detail. And then when it comes to the digital file, there's, there, there's really not the same intentionality. One of the big questions with this is what exactly does someone own when they purchase in an NFT? And in, in this example specifically, right? So the buyer is purchasing this NFT and it, it is unique. There is only one. It's verified that there's only one, but it's definitely different from, right, going to an, an auction house and purchasing a painting and it is the original painting and there is one and you hang it on your wall, right? And no one else has it. You're the owner. Or is it so different from, from that owning that physical, like I said, say a painting or something like that? It does present a lot of questions about, about what ownership is. I think in this digital space, you know, this piece right now the, is, has been authenticated. So yes, it can be copied. There's no value attached to any of the copies of it. The value comes, uh, you know, presumably, or so this is being framed by this blockchain. That's the techno signature. It's just the same as any other kind of art piece that you can have something that looks like a Picasso and talks like a Picasso and walks like a Picasso. But if you don't have the provenance, if you don't have all of the backstory confirming that it's a Picasso, then it has no value. So the same, so the same kind of methodology is around artwork and other, and, and, and some of them aren't artwork that are using these NFTs. Some of them are collectibles, but it's the same thing about the, the, the integrity of that collectible or that artwork comes in that provenance. And I guess there is still a bit of an absurdity to it when you have a dollar value that high, $69.3 million. I mean, it's not that that's particularly new, a sense of some kind of absurdity in contemporary art. So I think of the the banana, right? Duct taped. Is it is it so different from that? So let's talk about the banana. You know, that was something that debuted at Art Basel in 2019 by an Italian artist, Maurizio Catalan, who duct taped this banana to a wall in his work, Comedian. Um, it sold three editions and two artist proofs for 
you know, somewhere between 120000 to $150,000. And it was just this big stir. This is an artist who has long uh, assessed and criticized the arts market. So this was his most recent attempt at doing doing so. And so, you know, with it, it, it was intentionally cynical. And that was kind of baked into the notion. And, you know, this banana was on this wall. Everyone was going wild about it. It was browning as it, you know, continued to be up there. And, and it's, of course, ephemeral. You know, that's a whole other element of art is art that is not meant to remain. I mean, this, this banana is going to rot. You know, we know this. And, and that was sort of a, his way of questioning the commodification of the arts world. You know, so there's that, that he actually, you know, made hundreds of thousands of dollars for um, something that was not going to exist. And it was it was sold as well. Beeble, I think, is up to something a little different. I don't see anything inherent in his work that is after the same thing about an assessment of the art world and how it operates. However... The way in which his piece played certainly, you know, poses questions about the the art world and how Christie's positioned it, how people kind of backed in to a work of 5,000 pieces, how the bidding war happened as well, because they were both people who were highly invested in NFTs and blockchains. So that was, you know, there's an element of cynicism there, in my opinion, as well. But I don't think that was the intention of the work. NFTs do have this opportunity built in for an artist to be paid every time it is sold again. And that could, of course, be a plus. Do you know of any other artists locally, maybe any artists who are more connected with South Carolina who have tried to sell their work using NFTs? Well, I know that the, the Varnville artist Met Nelson, um, who's a watercolor artist, and he and, and there's a you know, there's a certain built-in irony to and there always has been with Ment, because Ment is an interesting case in somebody who long ago cut out the middleman to sell his art, and he's been able to do so from this rural setting in Varnville, and he's created this phenomenal social media following. He, he does, he makes a living and he's very proud of the fact that he's done that. And he's a really interesting case in study. I, and then the people that you see follow him at this point are really incredible. Like uh, Andy McDowell, uh, you know, the actress uh, is, is, is constantly, you know, sort of liking the things that he's done and they're beautiful and he's of Gullah descent and he's often doing something that's so regional. So he's kind of recently, I've noticed jumping on the NFT bandwagon and, 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 you know, any artist can do it. Um, so he's been doing it. I don't know what his level of success is, but his level of enthusiasm is high. Interesting to kind of put that up against this example of, like we said, people, Mike Winkleman has been more individual. You know, he's very interesting because it's not only that he doesn't need to be in Charleston, he doesn't, he could be on Mars if it was possible to be on Mars and doing this because it's so contained in the ether. And so it's just, it's as I'm looking at the local art scene and, and as I'm looking also at some of the imperatives recently of arts funders and arts advocates and social justice activists 
the the regional and the and, and community based initiatives are gaining a lot of luster and emphasis recently as a way to navigate these unprecedented times. And so this digital art sphere is just the diametric opposite from that, as different as it can. And it's not to place value over one or the other, but it's just sort of the schism is interesting that things are going sort of hyper-local and then, you know, going out into the stratosphere as well. All right, listeners, that's all for today. If you missed our special Beyond the Headlines event today, don't worry. We'll be posting that soon online. I'll leave the link to the homepage for that virtual event series in today's show notes. If you have thoughts on Beeple, NFTs, or Charleston's art scene, write to us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or message us on Twitter at understandsc. We'd also love to hear your feedback on this show, ideas for future episodes, or see a review from you on Apple Podcasts. That helps people in Charleston, other parts of South Carolina, and beyond to find our show. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.